It's been many episodes since I specifically discussed the topic of critical thinking and the ways in which kids' social-emotional learning can, if properly facilitated, be the most natural starting point for development of that all-important life skill. Do you know anyone who would argue against critical thinking as one of the most essential skills for a well-rounded and worthwhile education? I do not. So I am not going to be shy about bringing this topic into more episodes. Welcome. My name is Nini White. This is the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. And I'm guessing you're here because you know there's more to social-emotional learning than what that term commonly implies. That meaningful discussions about social-emotional learning need to embrace all the dimensions and layers of what makes us human. Again, welcome. I am so glad you're here to share in the ongoing discoveries we enjoy exploring together. I'm going to start with a brief explanation about the brain's anatomy, because understanding a few fundamental facts about how the brain is physically structured will deepen our understanding and help us relate to critical thinking in very practical and actionable terms. And because understanding the physical structure, growth, and development of the brain helps us to appreciate the very practical value of exercising the brain for its holistic development, specifically in its capacity to engage in critical thinking. In the long history of human evolution, the prefrontal cortex that part of the brain right behind the forehead, is the most recent to come online, as it were. It's the part of the brain that contributes to many of the brain's most sophisticated, or should I say complex, functions, including focus of attention, predicting consequences, anticipating events, impulse control, self-management of emotional reactions, plus so much more all of which are required for well-rounded critical thinking, among so, among so much more, of course. And much of what ties into the va- must have, m- much of that ties into the vast network of neuronal connections to and throughout all parts and functions of the brain. That number of connections has been compared, <coughs> excuse me, to the number of galaxies in the known universe. Yeah, the possibilities. Brain science, with the aid of MRIs, has observed that the prefrontal cortex area of the brain takes longest to fully develop. It's usually not fully developed until around uh, 25 years of age. Furthermore, much that you'll read about the prefrontal cortex states that it doesn't really start to develop until around 8 years of age. Not everything you read will make that claim. And from my many years as a classroom teacher and also as a mother, I humbly disagree with the validity of that eight years of age start time. Actually, I'm not all that humble in my disagreement with that statement because I am so tired of very young children's potential, their skills, their innate strengths and capacity being underestimated and going underdeveloped for far too long. Because holding kids back based on faulty calculation of their inherent abilities is a disservice to them 
and really to everyone. Okay, so critical thinking. What's the first association you make with critical thinking? For me, it's thinking. And then I go to clear thinking. And then I go straight to logical thinking. And then I compare logical thinking, in other words, step-by-step or linear thinking, with its opposites, knee-jerk reactions, emotional responses, personal opinions, and culturally programmed biases. Would you agree with me that life is, among other things, a never-ending set of opportunities to overcome obstacles, challenges, and problems? We all have different kinds of challenges, obstacles, and problems, but none of us goes through life without challenges, problems that need solutions. One of the very first places we all encounter challenges is in our interactions with others, which is why kids' social-emotional learning is the most natural and surprisingly effortless place to start developing their critical thinking. Why is it easy? Because kids are internally motivated by the natural inclination to be happy, to get along with others, just as we all are. It may not always look like that internal motivation is there within them because layers of hurt or anger or pride might cover up that internal motivation to get along with others. But it's there. It's always there. It's just natural, born right into them. And even though kids don't always know how to make situations better because their emotions, their knee-jerk reactions, possibly some negative associations, etc., etc., get in the way, that social side of their lives is where we can come in and fire up their reasoning and critical thinking skills. How? Well, not by telling them how to get along or what they should do. Of course, part of our job as educators and parents is to tell them and to help them uh, understand the shoulds and shouldn'ts. But that's not how critical thinking is awakened, exercised, and developed. What does awaken, exercise, and develop critical thinking is questions. Or to be more precise, a series of questions that lead thinking along a path of well-reasoned discovery. Maybe I should repeat that. What does awaken, exercise, and develop critical thinking is questions. And to be more precise, a series of questions that lead thinking along a path of well-reasoned discovery. Bottom line, if we limit kids' education and guidance to telling them all the answers we think they need, how can we ever expect them to be effective problem solvers? In other words, how can we ever expect them to be critical thinkers? So critical thinking skills, at the very minimum, involve, one, noticing a problem, a challenge, an opportunity for change. Then, two, as objectively as possible, identifying, then analyzing specific issues, pain points, in order to begin thinking about, and three, drawing conclusions about probable causes, probable consequences, and uh, four, balanced variety of fair-minded solutions. 
balanced. That's a key word here because the term critical thinking implies looking at a situation from all sides, sometimes even from the outside, leaning away from personal biases. What I love so much about critical thinking is that when we get it going in our classrooms or with any group, even young, even young kids get the value of it when their critical thinking is facilitated in a way that gives them the direct experience that their own intelligence is acknowledged, acknowledged and respected. Okay, are you ready for less theory, more how-tos? Great, here we go. If you, and I, if you and I were in each other's company right now, I'd ask you to describe some of the typical social, emotional, and life skills challenges you notice coming up repeatedly for the kids in your care. But since we can't have that in-person conversation right now, though I hope we can someday, I'm going to start with sharing. How many times have you encouraged the kids in your care to share or at to at least not be so set in their ways about who gets to play with what, who gets to eat what, or who gets to wear what, etc., etc., etc. So first thing I discovered in my 20 years of teaching was that kids need to notice or acknowledge a problem. And that's a lot easier for them to do if they don't get the impression that they're being identified as part of the problem. How to do that? Show them a picture of a couple of kids in which one of them is holding for himself or herself toys that clearly both of them would like to be enjoying. My job as the grown-up in the first part of this critical thinking exercise is to show a picture of the situation I just described and ask the kids, preferably a group of at least three, what they see happening in the picture. This will be easy for all the kids because the situation is entirely familiar to them. And since they won't feel that they're being corrected, they're always happy to give their opinions on what they see. Always. At this point, as the adult, we just make sure everyone who wants to has a chance to express in his or her own words what they see and that we listen with all of our attention and respect for each child. Once the problem or challenge has been noticed, identified, uh, identified, then it's time to start asking a series of questions that will draw out the kids' innate reasoning ability, their innate critical thinking abilities, along with their innate conscience and their innate empathy. Since all those elements are interconnected in each of them, in each of us, that won't be as difficult or as complicated as it might sound. The picture I used for this critical thinking exercise shows a little boy hoarding a pile of blocks from a little girl. The little girl looks sad. The little boy looks how you'd expect him to look in this situation. I wonder, how would you expect him to look? If you'd like to see what I'm uh, working off for this exercise, I'll tell you how to receive an electronic copy of this entire exercise, including the image, at the end of this episode. Okay, so now we need a string of open-ended questions to help kids identify, then analyze specific issues, specific pain points. Here are some possible open-ended questions to help focus the kids' thinking. What do you see happening in this picture? Where do you think these kids are? 
it helps to ask a question like that so they can uh, let you know what environment they think that the kids are in and then they can relate to it more because they'll probably call up from their own memories. Another question is, does it look like the boy is having fun? Why? Why, why is that your answer? Is he building something interesting looking? Why do you think that? Notice that when a question will probably evoke only a one-word answer, that that question is followed by another question to draw out more, something like, why is that your answer, or why do you think that? Who has noticed that some of us like to play together and some of us like to play alone? Raise your hand if you think it's okay that different people like to play different ways. Then what you want to do is call on a few kids who raise their hands after this question to ask them why they think that, which is important because all the other kids will be listening to those answers and they will be learning from each other without any effort on your part. Now we can start them thinking about possible, possible causes, causes and consequences. Who would like to tell us about a time when you like to play alone? And be sure to tell us, uh, please, why you wanted to play alone. Who would like to tell us about a time when you wanted to play with someone else? And why is that your answer? How do you think the girl in this picture feels? Did any of you ever feel that way when someone wouldn't play with you? What was that like? Notice, if we're really going to be developing kids' critical thinking skills, then we're going to have to open ourselves up to more than right, wrong, should, shouldn't answers for the kids and really for ourselves too. Now we can start them thinking about a balanced variety of possible solutions. Did you or someone you know ever say, please, to another person who didn't want to do what you wanted? Did saying, please, make the person change their mind? Why do you think that is? If the boy in this picture really felt like playing alone and he really didn't feel like playing together without being mean or hurting that girl's feelings, what words do you think he could use to tell her what he does and does not want to do? Right now, you might be thinking, that's a lot of questions to develop kids' critical thinking. But in my experience, the more we can widen their perspectives and widen the circle of inclusion about how to consider challenges and possible solutions, the more they get into it. Maybe you're thinking kids will get tired of all the questions, but when the questions are enticing and unpredictable and the kids are confident that they have significant answers, which is nearly always the case, kids just naturally stay engaged. They just naturally do. All right, at this point, I like to show another picture, which I introduce by asking if they'd like to see another way of doing things. I do not say anything about the right way, and I never say anything about how the boy should act. It's never been necessary, and I want to explain the very clear reason for that, but for now, I'll just continue sharing more of the questions. When I reveal the second image, in which the boy and the girl are playing together, I don't say anything for... 15 or 20 seconds, to give them time to take in what they're seeing. Then I ask, what do you see that's different in this picture? Which gets them to exercise their skills at comparing and contrasting, which are important tools for critical thinking. 
What does it look like they're building? What kinds of things do you like to build with blocks? This question gets them relating consciously and directly to the scene and the challenge we've been focusing on together. Grown-ups like to play things too. What have you seen grown-ups building? At this point, I like to show a few different pictures uh, that represent the next few questions. Have you seen people working together? Have you seen people working alone? So who would like to tell us what they've seen? These questions help kids, even if only in a small way, to understand that some things are the same, no matter how big or how little they are, and that people still need to cooperate and get along. Another question is, who has built something really great with another kid? What did you like about building together? And what didn't you like about building together? Or is there anything you didn't like about building together? Another question, who has built something really great all by yourself? What was the best part about building all by yourself? And was there anything that you missed doing it all by yourself? So the purpose of that is to maybe draw out that life has trade-offs in it. And it's kind of fun to get them to be aware of that. As you can probably guess, I can come up with 20 more questions at least, and I have for this exercise. And um, they all have legitimate reasons for how they nurture and develop critical thinking skills. Obviously, the development of children's critical thinking skills is only going to be more and more valued in this 21st century in which we live because they need us less and less to give them answers, but they will always need us more and more to help them help themselves to discover and activate their own most rewarding answers. Starting to develop those critical thinking muscles is so easy and natural in relation to their personal lives and their friendships. Thus, we put it into social-emotional learning. All right. If you'd like to receive an electronic copy of the resource I've been sharing with you on this episode, just drop the line to me. My email address is ask at kidsownwisdom.com. That's where you can share your thoughts with me, make requests for future topics on this podcast, anything. I love to connect with listeners. Thank you for being here, and I hope to hear from you soon.